I'm gonna. I want to spend more time on this kina, the next kina, more than we usually spend. It's, it's an Indian that I just felt talk about. Um, this terrible xerim techana nash imperium relativuchim. It's of all the of all the xeris that we could think of, all the terimatsav. This is the worst. I wanted to talk about xera, something that it's really painful. And that's why I think we haven't spoken enough about it, haven't been spoken about. But it's something that if there's any key of this Gzeira, and I later found that somebody described it as such, it's this Gzeira. <coughs> and the Gzeira I'm talking about is the Cantonist Gzeira. And we'll talk about it, um, in the, the, the horrendous Gzeira and the Khurmit made in Kal Yisrael, and the, and, and the fact of him Tarchal Nanashim. This was a pain of that Gzeira. Um, What's the Cantonist? The, um, the, without going to the history of it, the, um, in 1825, the Tsar Nicholas I um, decided that um, there always had been a draft. Um, it was 1825. The came Tsar, 1827, was when it went into effect. It became, he became, it uh, became, um, there was always, there were obligations on people to service, to serve in, in the Tsar's army. Um, and most of the time, the obligation was personal. In other words, everybody was eligible for draft. And um, people did whatever they could to get out of it. Uh, there were all the stories about people um, and, and different kufis. They could bribe their way out. They could starve themselves and look they looked um, skinny, and so on. That was, that was the, um, in different formats, in different places, that was the way it went. The Tsar decided that it's not good, and, and he decided that each community would have to produce X amount of people, no matter what. And these, the, the, um, the, they would produce people for the army, the, um, and the community, it was the community's responsibility. And didn't really make a difference who they brought, as long as they brought people, bodies, that was, that was enough. And he, um, the, the, he said he would take, in his graciousness, he would take children from the age of 12 and up. So the, the, the tour of duty was 25 years from the age of 18. That was the tour of duty. He agreed, graciously consented to take boys from the age of 12, and the six years before the actual army service started, they would be trained together with this, with with um, children of officers who also were taken away from home, and they would be trained together. That that would be that would, that was called cantonists, and they were they would become part of that. Um, and, um, and that it was that was the Xavier that he made. The um, intention, the person who did a lot of research recently on it, wrote a book on it. The very name on is Rabbi Mendelovitz, the famous himself was was a prisoner in Russia. He did a lot of research on it. He's had access to now documents, and he knew Russian and understood the mentality. And he wrote about it in a very factual way, a lot of documentation. Um, the, 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 the main reason for it was 
the Jewish problem. Too many Jews, doesn't know what to do with them, they stick like, they doesn't like them. And they figured, first of all, it would take a lot of males out of circulation. A lot of people wouldn't be able to get married. It would mean people would leave Russia, because at that time Russia had taken over part of Poland, so way too many Jews in one shot. If they would leave, Matov Manoim. It would also, and most important, um, a lot of these kids, every pressure would be put on them to shmad them. In, you know, take a kid who's 12 for 32 years, um, uh, for more, 37 years, and uh, take him away and 32 years, and, and uh, what's the chances that he would stay a, a heat? S but it created the horrendous, horrendous part of it is that since we had to supply our own, there were people, some of it pointed by the community, some of it hired by the community, low lives, but people who would go and they would hop kids off the street and they would submit them. And that was it. It was one of the most heart-wrenching parishes in Kaliosol's history. And these people were not picky. They would take eight, nine-year-olds and would also bring them. And they would register them. It wasn't a big deal in Russia to, to register. Whatever age you wanted to register them, it wasn't. So they would take eight, nine-year-old kids and they would bring them. And these kids would become, would stay by a harsh, the, in the first period before the so-called um, army training. So if his kid was eight, it could be 10 years, he would stay by a Russian peasant somewhere deep in Russia who would treat it as the Jew boy. And if he survived it, which many didn't, um, he, the pressure on him to convert was, was, was incredible. And then there was 25 years, and then we spit out and coming back to nothing. Over the Tkufa, and again, it's very hard to get accurate documentation because it was Russia and it was Russia then. But the estimates of how many kids were actually taken ranges between 30, 40 to 60,000. The survival rate of younger kids was, was, was very, very, was, was terrible. I mean, they were, they were treated to conditions like, like hardened soldiers. And they were, um, and, the amount, and the amount that converted to Christianity, again, the estimates range between 25 to 40% who didn't withstand the lachats and um, couldn't, uh, couldn't uh, you know, couldn't stay buckle under pressure, it was obvious. And to compound the tragedy, those who survived and retained the Yiddishkeit, when they would um, when they would come back, they were coarse. They were, they had been 32 years in 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 in, in, a, in a Russian environment in the army. They were coarse. Their families were embarrassed. Families didn't want them around. There wasn't anything for them. They were neither here nor there nor anywhere. It was a tragedy, Loyuman. It lasted until 1856 when he paid it, and Yirkov, um, and uh, they realized it wasn't. It, it was of no benefit to the, to the government or anything. But in those years that it lasted, that quarter of a century plus, it created a Hormic Israel. First of all, the kids that were taken away, many of them just died, 
on the road. I mean, they just walked them, walked them across Russia. It wasn't, you know, they, they were in, in harsh conditions. Many of them were converted forcibly and or under tremendous pressure. It created a horrendous resentment towards the leaders of communities. It's like when your father and mother sells you away, the Vigdebo, like if, if, if the leaders of community hired somebody to kidnap me and to put me through this hell, so what's my respect for the community? There was an Apikora, there was a, a, a Christian convert named Brafman, Jakob Brafman, who wasn't, he, he, he was a Yassim, and as a Yassim, he was primary candidate to be taken because there was nobody to protect him. So he ran away and he wasn't inducted. But the hatred that he had for his community, so he became a Christian, I will, and he, um, and he, uh, and he made tremendous service for the Jews. He, he was a tremendous Yehudim, and, and yet, it's like, it's, it's, I don't know, so, so what should what we expected? There's a story, Rabbi Saul Salanta, there was a, was, Rabbi Saul Salanta happened to be in Salant. It wasn't, he was born in Salant, but he happened to be on a trip in Salant when he was an older person. And there was a lady, a wandering lady, who, an almana with a yasim, very poor lady, and she made her, she made her parnasa, uh, she would come with a accordion, and she would play, and a little son would dance around, and people would throw coins. Very bottom of the totem pole of, of, uh, of uh, society, but that's what it was, that was her life. She, she had this little yasim, accordion, that's right. They, they, they came, everyone figured this is, this is the best kid to take, and they grabbed him and kidnapped him. She went berserk, she went out of her mind, and she ran from Doto screaming and yelling and, and, and foaming, and she, and she always mentioned nobody would, nobody would do anything. Reb Sol Salanta happened to be on a visit, and he said, and she came to him, she cried her heart out, and he said, he was very comforter and said, I'll, 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 I'll work for it. Didn't say anything. Shabbos morning, Rabbi Sol Salanta is in the shul, and a big, very mechaber him, and uh, he's sitting there by Kiddush, sitting around the table, then Chabadim, Rabbi Sol. Rabbi Sol Salanta turns to the first person and he says, you know, you, you don't carry your kerchief outside, you don't trust the Erev. It's a beautiful Chumrah. What about Goinef Nefesh Yishem Mechari Mois Yumas? Yechayet Misa. And what about you, big shot? What are you, your big tzitkes? You roll your eyes, launch my esters, and kidnap a child? And he went around from table to table, from person to person on the table, giving him strongest musa, and saying it's also he didn't part his community, and he ran out outside of the Tchum of the city on Shabbos. Um, it was, it made a tremendous ruckus, obviously, and blessed Barry, they freed the child. But at the end of the day, he started to find another child. There was no answer for it. The, um, there was, there's a person named, who was named Rabbi Yaakov Lifshitz. Uh, he was Rabbi Yitzchokhanan's secretary. And he wrote a historical memoirs called Zichon Yaakov, which um, illuminates a lot of that kufa. And he devotes 
a whole bunch of prokim to that period of time. And he says, I wouldn't have wanted to write about it because it's too painful. But he said, too many of the maskilim have used this as an example. They've used this to knock unfairly the Rabbanim Rashikihilis. And he goes through it. He, he, he says, I will not, I will not uh, cover up any of the terrible things he describes, the scenes of parents screaming and yelling when, when the kids are being taken and, 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 and the, the, the heartache. And he, he describes it in, 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 in um, quite difficult script. But then he says, and then he says, what were the choices? He said, Rabbanim should have said, not as the czar. That would have doomed the entire community. Then that's open rebellion. Then he would have the perfect excuse to kill everyone out. It, it, who should go? Who shouldn't go? He said, um, he writes, it was Xera of Nashim Piryam. It was Xera where we had to eat up our own children. That was Xera. And, 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 and there's a place that some safer in the Haggot, his drushes. He writes, the, the person writing the drush writes that there's a piece in the United States that some once walked in. So in Hungary, it wasn't, this Xer wasn't so much, there was a Xer similar to it, it wasn't so, but when he heard about it, he wrote, he says, ich, ich will nicht sein He said, I must speak out. What do you want from us? What, 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 what can we do? With, what, what's wanted by this? There were efforts made, um, a lot of, uh, I, again, we've written different different accounts. About half the people managed to be off the books, so to speak. The passports weren't, so they managed to keep people off the books. They managed this, man, that. But at the end of the day, there were tens of thousands of people. I want to read some pieces. They're very, they're not easy pieces, but I'll go upon them. This is Wemis Abel on where we are and so on. It's part of it. This is, again, this is photocopied out of the, the Medlovich's book. I want to take first a description of a Goyesha writer who was um, who was a um, who saw a Goyesha writer happens to see happened to come upon a group of kids being taken. This person was a a, a Goyesha writer. No no Shaykhistin. He just wrote memoirs and stuff. He says the day after I came, I went out of Perm. Perm was a city between Ural Mountains and the beginning of Siberia. A, a strong rain started coming. And uh, I reached a hut, and there was a soldier there, an old-time soldier. And somebody had been serving on for a long time, and he looked really worn down and very upset. And I asked him, what, who is it that you're bringing here? Like, well, what do you, like, he said he has to take people here. So he said, don't ask. My heart hurts. I'm not the one who made this law. It, I was told to do it. But I know as a human being, this is a terrible thing. He says, what are you speaking? What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? He says, they, got, they gathered a bunch of young Jew boys, aged eight. I don't know what they want from them. They may be going to send them to the Navy. First, they told me to march them to Perm. Then they said, bring them back to Kazan. I got them 100 kilometers ago. And the, the officer who gave them over to me told me they're a real impossible group. More than a third has already died. And half of them will never make it to Kazan. So I asked him, what happened? Is it a, a plague? He said, no. He said they die like flies because Jews are very weak. They can't go tens of hours in, 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 in mud and eat dry bread. They have no father and mother. Nobody cares about them. Um, the, the, um, he, he said, I don't know. What do they want for? 
and he said, I took a look, he walked out, he saw the kids, and he said, I've never seen a more horrifying sight in my life. I said, what kind of, what kind of unfortunate children? He says, the 12 and 13 year olds still were able to stand, but the seven and eight year olds, there's not enough black ink to describe the picture, the scene. They stood pale, exhausted beyond belief, with a, with a look of fear on their face. They were dressed with thick um, army coats that hung all over them. They looked at the soldiers accompanying them with a helpless look, begging for mercy. Their pale lips and the blue rings around their eyes um, testified as their physical conditions. That was a description of a guy, of what they look like. This one is going to be a description of a Jew who made it through, and he wrote his memoirs in 1912, and he published it in Ivreske Stjernia, a Russian magazine, and um, his name was Chaim Aramzin. I'll read just two or three pieces. I remember myself from the age of five, my mother put on me a talisman and gave me money to put in the stucker box in Beis Medrash. And in case I meet people collecting stucker, I should give them. My mother loved me more than all the other children in the family because I carried the name of her father. Her father was a Rav, and she dreamt that I too would be a Rav. My 11th birthday came out on Erev Shabbos. My father decided that for that he'll buy me mafter. Children in Katanim alight at Mafia, in Yerushalayim, it's common, they get. He, he tested me from the beginning and made sure that I wouldn't be an embarrassment. After the Aliyah to the Torah, he planned to have a little kibbutz for the people. My mother baked a honey lekach, and my father sent me to the store to buy drinks. I ran happily. I said, wow, what a happy Shabbat is going to be. The guests will sit, and they'll have cakes and whiskey, and I will sing Zmiris. Walking to the store, I turned to Rashavsky Street, and a wagon was coming, a coach was coming with a group of horses. The um, Balagola was a Lithuanian guy, and in the carriage, two elderly Jews sat. Two older Jews, not elderly, but older. One of them asked me, where, where, where does this person live? I said, it's the end of the street, and I'm going there, follow me. So they said, you know what, come on. They come in, I sit down, and they start galloping. And I say, no, this is where it is, and they have to keep galloping. Then I realized these must be kidnappers. I started to cry and to try to jump out, but the guy held me with all his strength until he finished. They took me to a very far place, and there was a, a house alone, and they were already near Shabbos there. They sat me down, they, they sat me down by, a, by a, a, a table, and they brought me a sitter, and they said I should sing L'chodoidi. I almost started crying, but I remembered that I was told, you know, I cry on Shabbos, it's Navera. So I, I held myself in, and I started singing L'chodoidi. The, um, the, uh, the owner of the house kissed me, and in my heart I said, Halavai Malachamavah should kiss you. The kidnappers sat, walked around the room, davening bedveikus, singing Kabbalah Shabbos, 
saying the Mizrach and shaking with the Slavas. Real Hasidim, the Teferis. And then they came to the Suda, and uh, one of them, you know, he said, You're supposed to eat on Shabbos, you shouldn't be fasting, and this and that. A whole Shabbos with them. Um, that is one piece of it. That's, that was the beginning of, he was caught two years before the Xavier ended, but he had to serve um, the full 25 years. He, um, he, another piece that just, I guess, um, an interesting piece, and then going back to a piece that's very difficult. Once, when I was working by this carpenter, again, they had to work in these places before they made it to the army, a priest came to me. He wanted to talk to me. He said, you learned Torah, yes? Doesn't it say that HaKadosh Baruch chose you to be his special nation? But let me tell you, because the Jews haven't worshipped God, God was angered Jewish people, spread the Jewish people out to all four corners of the earth. Every nation has a country. You don't. You have no place in the world that you're sure and safe. And therefore, I advise you become a Christian and you'll have goods in this world and wealth and goods and wealth in this world and on Mojave Afghan Aden. Because only those who believe in so-and-so will get that Aden. I told him, that that you told me that Kashbar was angry in Kali Yisrael, that's true. But more than that, since HaKadosh Baruch Hu is all over the world, we also have an obligation to be all over the world. But I'm wondering, you're trying to sell me the religion as if it would be some tchotchke, and you're promising me wealth and this and that. Why didn't you tell me that you more than we do? Why are you selling me garbage? Is, is that what you're trying to sell? He said that he left very quickly to Galach. And he said that people began to respect him a lot more. There's one piece that's very, very hard. And this wasn't, this was not, um, this was uh, unfortunately not atypical. They were able to get letters from home. They were able to get money some, and he got. He said, my parents would send me a letter <coughs> um, once a month with some money. All of a sudden it stopped. I, I didn't know what happened. And I wrote a letter to someone else, a friend of mine, what happened. He said, a letter came from home with one ruble. And it says, Chaim, our former son. We don't, maybe your name is even now. They had heard from someone, they had converted. Don't send us your false letters. Take the ruble, buy yourself a rope, and hang yourself. We curse you that you embarrassed us and the grandfather in whose name he carried. He said, all the children are yelling at Chaim Kizem If it's not true, bring a certificate from the local Rav, and then you remain our son. What local Rav? When local Rav? 25 years, he sat. And when he came home, they accepted him. They realized the mysterious nefesh that he had. But this was a tragedy that repeated itself. 10,000, 20,000, 30, 40, 50,000 times. And we, we brought these children there. The Chavaz Chaim said that the, the, the Iron Curtain descended and destroyed Russian Jewry. He said it was because of this. And again, I don't know. I don't, there's no, even hindsight, the, 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 some cipher writes in Shuva that they should have thrown Goyrel, whatever it is, it was 
the most, it was no matter how hard of exerted that comes from outside, that's one thing. But when we're forced to give over our own children to death and to shmad, it's possibly no worse exerted. Let's finish maybe one small, small bright speck on, on this. Chavetz Chaim was once traveling, he was in Vilna. Like he always went around to do his ksavim and things, to sell his farm, and it was an inn. He was eating there. And there was this big, grubber, coarse person sitting there. He orders a chicken and whiskey without making a bracha. He just gulps down the chicken and, you know, and, 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 and gulps down a, a glass of, of, of vodka. <laughs> no bracha, nothing. He was obviously Jewish. He was sitting in a kosher place and eating. It was a kosher inn. And, and the Chavetz Chaim was like shaking. The Chavetz Chaim couldn't uh, imagine such a such a pus adam. And he starts walking over to, um, to, to tell him Musa. And the innkeeper sees it. And the innkeeper makes a beeline. And he tells him, he whispers to him, this person is a cantonist. He's been a Russian soldier for 25 years. Whatever you say is not going to help, and you'll be lucky if he doesn't, uh, if he doesn't hit you back. Chavetz Chaim nodded and he went on. He walked over to the person and he said, I heard that they took you as a young child from home, and you weren't there to learn anything. And, you, and they tried the hardest, the Tsar tried the hardest to shmad you, to rip you out. And you, for 25 years, kept so strong and you held on to everything. You're a Kaddish. You're from the harshest of people I've ever seen. Halavai, I would be on Madrega, you are. And this coarse person's eyes, person who had only known beating and cursing from when he was a child, his eyes softened and he began sobbing. And then he said, you know, if you would take on to live like a heat, you would be possibly in the highest madrigas in the dark. I guess there's a passage that says about Aaron I guess if we had people like that, we'd be able to reach out also there.